Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Today, we transition into a new series. Like I shared a couple weeks ago, uh, we're going to be my, my prayer was that we would be saturated with the life of Jesus. And as we move into this series in the Gospel of John, we're just going to take our time unpacking the red letters, unpacking the words of Jesus over this next season. You know, the reality is, and we did it this morning, we sing about his birth, we sing about his death and his resurrection, and, and it fills the songs that we sing because they give us hope, Right? But the Gospels are filled with the accounts of Jesus, his life, that in the resurrection, it validates everything that he said and did and lived into. And and our call is to be like him. His prayer for us is that we would be transformed into his likeness, that he showed us a way to live and move and breathe. And so we have four Gospels, right? And they're similar, but different. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. My daughter came up to me this morning, and she rattled off, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They must be learning that next door. And, and so there, we, have, we have four accounts of Jesus' life in, in, our, in our canon, in, in our Bible. And each of, us give us, each of them give us a little bit of a glimpse into, into the life of Jesus. It's, it's an account that they observed and witnessed in the life of Jesus. And each of these four Gospels point us towards the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. For Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call these the synoptic gospels because there, there seems to be a common source. There's similar accounts that we can read. There's similar stories that are found in all three of these gospels that, that the teachings, the parables, all of the things that, uh, that point us towards the life of Jesus. Each of, each of them have something to say about the, the early lineage of Jesus. They each give an account of, of John the Baptist, of Je- Jesus' baptism and, and temptation and calming of the storm and feeding of the 5,000 and many other accounts. Well, John's gospel is altogether different. John's gospel goes back to the beginning of everything. That if, if, if the other three gospels uh, begin with the birth of Jesus or the lineage of Jesus and in the beginning of his earthly life here, John's gospel goes back all the way to the beginning of all things. John uses dualistic language. He, he uses light and darkness to, to talk about good and evil. He, he talks about life and death, belief in, uh, in rejection, truth and lie, lies. John doesn't uh, include Jesus' baptism. He goes right into the signs and the miracles. He gets right into it, into the life of Jesus. In John's account, we have no birth of Jesus, no baptism of Jesus. We don't see his temptations. We don't see the Last Supper account. We don't see uh, uh, his, his, his prayers in Gethsemane, the ascension, exorcisms. Of, uh, we don't see uh, ex- really many explicit parables. However, in the Gospel of John, we see the I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The resurrection. We see we see the discourse between the dialogue and, and, and Lazarus and raising him up from the dead. We see his conversation in John three with Nicodemus, the Pharisee that comes to him in the night and 
and tries to understand Jesus. This is where we get John 3, 16 in his conversation with Nicodemus. The Samaritan woman, we see, the, we see him turn water into wine. We see him washing his disciples' feet and so on and so forth. And it's after Mark and Luke had written their, their gospels that many believe Jesus, John was still preaching the story of Jesus orally, that he had come into the hands uh, of the people. And so John set out to give his own account. He, he saw what had been written about him, and, 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 and he, he knew it. But he had also witnessed the life of Jesus firsthand, closely, nearly. And so he begins to give an account of the things done by Jesus during that time that contained different acts of Christ. John wasn't ignorant. He knew what others had to say, the themes and, and the, the things that they wrote about. But he was consistent. That while, it, while his gospel is, is different in some ways, he's consistent in that he wrote to point us towards the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And so today, as we, as we transition into this this series in the Gospel of John where we look at Jesus' life through the eyes of John and what he wanted to convey to us. This is kind of a, a, a little bit of a flyover. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're, this, this is going to be a, an intro week where we learn a little bit about the person of John and, 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 and the culture that he was writing into and, and what this means for us as we begin to unpack the Gospel in the days and weeks to come, months to come. So John was the son of, of Zebedee. He was one of the 12 disciples, original 12 disciples, along with James and Peter. He formed the inner circle that Jesus talked about as he, as he brought three of them more nearer to him in, in, in his ministry. He was known as the one whom Jesus loved. He, he refers to himself as that in, in John. And this is the original eyewitness testimony and penetrating insight. And because he was, he was part of Jesus' inner circle and then in his ministry through, through Acts and, and wherever the Lord took him, he had firsthand knowledge of Jesus because he had been with him. He, was, he, was, he knew his thoughts. He, he, he knew because he had been in the inner circle. John had been with Jesus. Have you ever been with someone who knows someone like, like famous or, or big time? Maybe not, me neither. You know, since it's, since, it's the, uh, since it's the Super Bowl today, but I always use sports analogies, we'll talk about Taylor Swift for a minute, okay? <laughs> Taylor Swift has this inner circle, right? We talk, they, they talk about this inner circle. And, and I would imagine that if, if, if one of you who, who, who love and adore and follow Taylor Swift met one of these people, one of these men or women in her inner circle... Your questions would be all about uh, what's she like and what does she like to eat and what does she do here and what are, what are some things that, that no one else might know about her, right, that, that, that you could share with me because I want to get to know the person behind the person. Like, like what are they like intimately and, 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 and what are their deepest desires and, and secrets or, or whatever it may be, right? That's silly, but that when you... When you when you meet up with somebody who knows somebody who has been with that somebody else that you might, you know, aspire to be like or not be like, but know a little bit more about, that's how your questions are directed. And, and for, for, for us today, 
as we read the, the words that, that John writes, this is someone who knew Jesus the best, uh, most, most likely during his, his three years of ministry. He had been with him. He walked with him. John knew Jesus as well as anyone. And so John offers us this unique perspective in the life of Jesus. He was even with him at the cross when others had abandoned. He brings us these private conversations that Jesus had with others like, like Nicodemus and, and others. And we see the life of Jesus that only John can give us insight into. And so this is why I think this book is so fascinating. This gospel account is so fascinating. One final, one big difference about, about John and the way he writes is his sequence. That in the synoptic gospels, in the other three gospels, we see there's a similar order, there's a similar progression of things, and, and we see how Jesus does his ministry in Galilee, and then he, and it all kind of culminates in Jerusalem at the cross, and, and John's sequence is, is altogether different. And, and he talks about uh, feasts at different times of the year, and, and, and being in Jerusalem at various times, and and we see that, hey, maybe this isn't the order that things happen in. And, and what was the order of Jesus' ministry? And, and in, in our, our, our Western way of, of, of reading and understanding story is we like things in chronological order, right? We like a beginning, middle, and end. And we, we just, we appreciate that. But in, in Eastern cultures, they didn't tell stories like that. There was, there was, a, sim, there was a, a singular event, and it would circulate, and, and, and all the stories and all the things will coalesce around, around um, a, a certain event. And so, and so as, 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 as John shares, there's, there's, a, there's an order to his story, but it's not maybe in the order that we might, might choose. You know, I think of it like this. If I'm, if I'm going to talk about my time here at NAPNAS, I would start off by saying, what would I want people to know about it? I wouldn't, I wouldn't come to you and say, okay, first I was hired, and then I did this, and then I did this, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this. No. I would start by saying, what would I, what, what, what would, what would I want the heart of what I have to share be about, right? We see this in eulogies. We, if, if someone talks about someone who has passed away, they don't say, first they did this, then they did this, then they did this. No, they talk about the heart of the person, right, and the attributes of the person. And, and there may be a similar, a, a little bit of an order and a progression of thought, but it, it, it's not in direct chronological order. And the same with, with my account here. I would want people to know that this is a place where God was alive, that he was active, and the people of God connected and thrived. And so everything I share about my time, and it would loosely, you know, there would loosely be some sort of order, but the heart of it will be that they might know that this was a place where God was alive, he was moving, and there was belonging here, and people sensed the Lord here. And so John's, John had a timing for everything, and the first half of his gospel, and what he wanted the listener to, or the hearer to, to know was the signs and the miracles that, that Jesus did and the controversies that surrounded that, the resistance as he was ushering in a new kingdom. And then the second half of John's gospel contains Jesus' final words and his, his death 
and his resurrection ultimately. And so today in John 20 is where we're going to start. Because John 20, 30 and 31 give us the reason for John writing this today. John 20, 30 and 31, and if you have the Bible app, you can, you can open that up. It says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. I wrote this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is why he wrote it. That you may believe and that you may have life in his name. Initial belief, sustaining belief. All of these things I've shared about in his life were written so that you may initially believe and keep on believing. That it would transform your entire way of, of, of being and living. That's why I included these things in here and that's why I talk about them and share them. And so his primary purpose this work would serve both as an encouragement to the body of believers that he was, he was writing to, that they may keep on believing and continue to have life in his name, and that others who might stumble upon his words might come to know Jesus Christ. His motivation is the proclamation of the gospel and the resurrection of the Lord, which would validate the words that he spoke and the life that he led. And so John writes that you, the hearer, might believe, be inspired, and that then you may keep on believing. It's not this intellectual knowledge, but it's this whole becoming believing that John was interested in sharing Jesus' life for. That it's a new way to live. That it's a new way to be. And so today, we begin in the first two verses John 1, 1, and 2. Now that we know why he wrote what he did, so that way we may believe and have life in his name, we begin. And so John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So here we see word used three times in this first verse. You know, words are powerful, right? The words that we use, the words that we choose to say, we're responsible in a lot of ways for the words that we say. In some way, they have a life of, our own, of their own because they can change the trajectory of someone's life. If I were to say, I love you, or you're fired, or those, those have very powerful implications, don't they? In the strongest sense, depending on who you say them to. Sometimes I wish my words had more power with my children. But sometimes our words don't match up with our actions, and we say, we say one thing and do another. Right? I say this, 
but I do this. And so your words aren't matching up with your actions. Words have power. They have meaning. If you're a coach, your words have power. If you're a teacher, your words have power. If you're a songwriter, your words have power. Words mean things. You know, for me, I'm learning that words carry much more meaning and implications than they used to in this role here. And my words represent an institution or an organization, an entire body. There's no, there's no separating me from that. And so if I were to walk out of here and you were to find me in a restaurant and I were to say or do one thing, they're my words, but they also represent something bigger, right? There's no such thing as stepping away from that, that I'm, in the, I'm forever an ambassador of, of this place, of Christ, of who he's called me to do. So words have meaning. And for the Greek and for the Jew, he was kind of writing uh, to a mixed bag and allowing this to go out into the world, John was. Words mattered, and John knew that. And I love this because his first words had objective meaning to them. This is profound. This is, this is beautiful. These first two verses are, are beautiful in, in the eloquency. But it connected everyone with their, an, an objective experience too. And so number one, the word was in the beginning. Of course, any... any, any uh, one from the Jewish culture would have, would have very quickly, when, when they saw the three words, in the beginning, they would have thought of the Genesis account. They would have thought of creation. They would have thought of the God who spoke everything into existence, right? The God of the universe. And so this has, has, has implications to it. That we know in the beginning, God was there and he created he created humans in his image. Genesis 1 talks about this beautiful creation account where, where, where chaos was turned into order and, and light and darkness and land and sea and animals. And then he, and he gets to us and he says, and he, he, created, he created mankind in his image and he was very good. And so these three words, in the beginning. And so here John uses these and he says that we have Jesus, the one from the beginning entering into our space. That God was in the beginning, the Word, entering into our time and space, the Word becoming flesh. So, so as John begins to write, he gives us a climax of the arrival of the firstborn of creation, who's Jesus. And for the Greek, too, they had use for that word. The word word translated in the Greek is, is logos, And for them, it meant that uh, reason or, or wisdom. The Greeks saw the, the wonder of the world. They saw, every, they, they saw everything that there was beauty, there was, there was order that existed and attributed to the logos of God, the mind of God that was responsible for this world. And they didn't, they didn't understand who God was. They, they had this, this pantheistic view where there's many gods and, and many things. And so when they saw this, they say, in the beginning was the word. They would have been inclined to hear. 
okay, tell me more about this. And all the while, John's, John's intending to write about, about Jesus Christ. And so John sees the occasion for both the Greek and the Jew to connect them and to bind them and to, for them to understand who he was writing about. John sees the occasion, and it was this way that he presented Jesus to them throughout the rest of the 18 verses that, that Dave's going to preach on next week. As if to say, all, that you're, all your lives have been fascinated by this great guiding, controlling mind that the Greek would have pursued of God, this mind of God, this wisdom of God that you've searched for wisdom, you've searched for, for reason and understanding. The mind, the logos of God, has come to earth in the man of Jesus. Look at him and you see the mind and the thought of God. Every action John records of Jesus are signs, windows that allow us to see the reality of who God is. And so they can see God at work, God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. And so John went out to the Greeks, to the Jews, to tell them that Jesus Christ, this creating, illuminating, controlling, sustaining mind of God has come to earth in the person of Jesus, the Word. That this Word of God, the reason of God, Jesus is the one. He's the one that you can look at and say, this is God. This Word that I'm about to tell you was already there at the beginning of all things. Next, he says, the Word was with God. If you think about it too long, it'll make your brain hurt. The word was with God. That Jesus was with God. John is saying something profoundly difficult to truly understand and to grasp, but simple to receive. Just say, okay. If the word was with God before time began, if God's word is part of the eternal scheme of things, it means that God was always with Jesus. Starts to talk about the triune nature. And we see this in Genesis 1, 26 now. It takes us back. In Genesis 1, 26. We see that there were, there were multiple present, right? We see glimpses of, of Jesus being with God. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Our image, us, let us create. So John's taking them back once again. He's saying, yeah, this Logos, he was with God in the beginning. He was with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this is where we start to see the Lord at work. That you don't have this God of the Old Testament, this, this tale of two characters, right? The, the God in the Old Testament is, is, is stern and avenging, and, and I think a lot of, uh, a lot of even, even believers in Christians see this and believe this, where he, he's stern, he's avenging, he's, uh, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and he decides to be nice, right? And, and, and there's grace. No, God has always been like Jesus, his character, his nature, that when we behold Jesus Christ, we see what God is truly like. He's been with him. 
And so what Jesus did was open a window in time and place that we might see the eternal and unchanging love of God for who and what he actually is. And so what does it mean to be with God? The word was with God. It means that there has been the closest and most intimate relationship between the word and God. Between Jesus and God. They're one and the same. There's no one and no thing that can tell us what God is like and what he loves like Jesus can. This was our Christmas series, right? The signposts that point us towards the coming Messiah, where he's perfectly revealed, the full illumination, the radiance of God's glory because he has been with God. And then finally, the word was God. <laughs> Hammer drops on him. It says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God. They were like they were of the same substance, and then he says the word was God. That Jesus is God. And for the Greek, the word, the word theos means God. And that's where we get our, our word theology, the study of God. And so there's a, little, there's a little word, and so I learned a little bit this week, that you, that you can, uh, ho, H-O, that you place in front of a word is a definite article, and it means to be, be like something. So if, if they were to say, uh, ho theos, that it, it's, 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 it's like something, it's like God. And John didn't choose to, to write that. He omitted that word, and he just says, the logos is theos, is God. And so he's not like, he's not to say that, you know, uh, you become, you become like, like your friends who you spend the most time with, right? You're, you, you become like them. You've spent so much time together that I can't tell you two apart, right? It's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is so perfectly the same as God in mind and heart and being. This is what John's saying here, essentially. That in Jesus, we perfectly see what God is like. We perfectly see who God is. That if you wish to see that word of God, if you wish to see the creative power of God, if you wish to see that word which brought the world into existence and which gives light and life to everyone, look at the person of Jesus Christ. Look at his life. This is the one I'm going to tell you about. These are the signs and miracles that I'm going to show you that reveal God to us. That in him, the word of God came among us, entered into our time and space, dwelt among us. These implications were radical for the Greeks and for the Jews. For, for the Jews, he's the long-awaited Messiah, right? For those who hadn't already heard He's Emmanuel. He's God with us in the flesh. Dwelling among his creation, being with us. And for the Greek, he's the God. 
He's not some pantheistic God or, or multiple gods or, or, or whatever, but, but he is God. The word, the logos, Jesus is God in the flesh. And so as we, as we behold him, as we see him, we see God. So John wrote that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing we might have life in his name. For the Jew, for the Greek, for us, it meets us where we are. That these first two verses level the playing field. They meet past cultures where, where they've come from for for, for a Jewish audience, right, certain phrases, certain words would have meant something that, that paves the way to talk about the long-awaited Messiah. And for a Greek culture that John's speaking into, finally there's resolve for this word, word. The logos, the mind, the reason of God can be beheld in the person of Christ. And so as John continues then, over the next 18 verses and even through the rest of his book, his purpose, his intent is to, to draw us nearer, to show us the person of God through Jesus Christ. John meets the reader where they're at. And for us today, these words meet us where we're at. That his prayer, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine John thinking that his words would be read thousands of years later and studied and, 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 and looked at. What a beautiful thing. But I believe his heart for us is that we might know, that we might believe, that we might be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That we can stop chasing after other gods, other pleasures, other things like like the Greeks were, looking for meaning, looking for purpose in life. If they stop once and for all. And invites each of us in to discover the life-changing work that Christ can do in us too. And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where this text meets you, what you're pursuing, where you've come from. Maybe this is your first Sunday here and you're hearing about this God for the first time. Welcome. Keep coming because we're going to flesh out. Next week talks about the word made flesh dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, this, this dwelling place that resides in the word. And it's available for us because God meets you where you're at and he doesn't leave you there. He meets us in our brokenness, in our uncertainty. He says, come with me. You'll find rest, you'll find truth, you'll find life. Amen? So that's an overview of John. That's where we're headed for the next months, would you stand today?
Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your, your truth that's revealed to us. And Lord, as John was a witness, one in the inner circle, that beheld the glory that was before him in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. But I pray that we would use his words, that it would be transformative for us too, that his prayer in writing this, that we might believe, that we might be transformed, and that we might be ushered into this new life, this eternal life that exists in you. Because you've always been, you always will be, God. And part of your redemptive work is bringing us back into communion with you so that we might have life. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word today. Lord, and I pray that it would continue to permeate us, fill our hearts, fill our lives, transform us from the inside out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, have a great Sunday. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.